Greetings, Maltopians. Are you looking to delve deeper into the world of Maltopia? Then check out our Patreon, where you can find written mythos pieces, world maps, found footage, art, Patreon-exclusive shows, and more. Just go to patreon.com forward slash Maltopia and join one of our tiers for access to great new content. Brave the forbidden and embrace the darkness. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com.
It was exhilarating. The fear, the fight, the flight. I was racing down preternaturally darkened hallways with a pack of killers and a dog from hell, fleeing demons born from nightmares. To my right was a man whose cleverness at killing was matched only by Mother Nature herself. At my left loped a butcher whose killing grin burned blacker than the devil's halo and at the rear, found in an undead monster filled with zombified, murdered murderers. I was the dark Alice of my own personal wonderland, replete with a retinue of mad hatters and Cheshire beasts. The hallways changed shape as we dashed through them, taking on a multitude of complexions. From the drear of abandoned alleys to the horror of bleeding tunnels, every change was like an homage to the worst dreams ever hatched from human heads. The aesthetics were certainly not wasted on Wicked, whose smoldering grin seemed to singe the very air. Baron's cunning channeled our escape, his shape massive yet graceful as he steered us through one treacherous shadow after the next. When obstacles turned more solid, the giant killer's prodigious strength blew them from our course, barely bending his stride. How he knew where to zig rather than zag was as much a mystery as the man himself. Still, he was starting to grow on me. The corridors turned black and ornate, a church made from the bones of fallen angels. We were coming to the end of our rope. Our path concluded with a massive stained glass window, the cruciform figure etched across it a solitary dark figure spreading burning black wings. A look back confirmed the worst, the nightmares were gaining, their sapphire eyes roiling the world around them as surely as any storm. Baron wasn't stopping. Wicked laughed hysterically when he sensed Baron's intent. I began to slow as the plan came into focus against my solidifying fear. Before I could call out to Baron to stop, the Bower's dog grasped me in its jaws and tossed me atop its back. Shattered glass, screams, and laughter became the world undone by desperation. The weightlessness of wheeling emptiness filled my stomach, but the air wasn't empty. We fell through parades of marching madness made flesh tumbled between yawning maws larger than open skies, passed before blazing eyes blinking huge and hateful from behind the weak flesh of human torment. I was just fear in volume, a living scream. How can you wake from a nightmare that swallowed your entire body? 
but I felt her hand upon us, preserving us from the blackest clutches. Her red dreams washed us from the eternal fall, plunging us into a sea of blood, the blood of every murdered man, woman, and child that ever was. Billions of bodies glided through red waters, dead eyes staring a void into the alien dreams that chased us. At the bottom of the sea sat a ruined house, a mansion, where she lived. And then the world blinked, and we were all face down in the streets of New Victoria, shattered stained glass scattered all around us. I looked up into the darkness to gauge the distance we had fallen. <laughs> All of four feet. A blasted-out window in the side of a rickety old church remarked smarmily on the few feet we had tumbled. <laughs> Dreams. Okay, where the hell is this guy we're supposed to meet? I've about had my fill of this place. Wicked seemed to not hear me, lost in the reverie of the last few minutes. Baron, any ideas? I was talking to open air. The killer giant had assumed his place in the shadows. Rover was gone too, but I knew neither of them were far away. Wicked stumbled and fell into the gutter, blood still drizzling from his punctured guts. We need to patch you up or you'll never leave this place. I kept my voice dispassionate barely concealing my true concern for the grinning psychopath. If I was to die, Vive, I certainly couldn't ask for a better place to do it, now could I? I can see why Donald came here. It must have been excruciating for him to leave. The killer's eyes swelled with ruthless wonder, refusing to budge even for the slightest concern for survival. You're not dying here, you nut job. None of us are, not even the dog. Now, let's get some pressure on that wound and see what kind of damage we're dealing with. The words came naturally, as if I were meant to say them. I was becoming something else. Something sterner, harder. I helped Wicked to the nearest building. An ice cream shop, of all things. The wound looked worse than it was, but blood loss had taken a toll on his mobility. Well, you're not going to be sprinting anytime soon, but you'll live to kill again. So there's abandoned cars everywhere. I'm thinking we could cruise the rest of the way. You do know where we're going, right? Wicked lit up the darkness with his signature smile, making the world seem safe and revealing him for the monster I knew he was, the monster I needed him to be. Vive, my dear sweet friend. You need to start putting away your trite conceptions of life and death. Death is just a brilliant surprise, and life merely its preceding and painfully exquisite suspense. Whatever lies behind this macabre theater of concrete, it's sure to be filled with something truly wonderful. We have all seen something of what lies beyond, and it's in strict defiance to all of this real-world nonsense. How could it not be splendid? Even Donald and I always agreed on one single point. This world is our implacable enemy. That's why I defy it at every turn. I'll not let its roats engulf me, master me, detour me from the light of forever. However, just because death might be fantastic, it's no excuse to be lazy and jump right into it. We were put here with purpose to overcome life, to see past it. 
To die before that fact sinks in is to truly die, in the sense that you worry so much about it. For me, life is death. It's dropping rocks into a mysterious pit, waiting for something incredible to happen. And I've dropped many, many rocks into the abyss. Nothing yet, but I'm hopeful and patient. He leveled his eyes at mine, showing me that there was no man behind the monster, just more monster. Even though I've learned my lesson, I'll stay as long as I can. I want to watch this wreck of a world fall apart, piece by piece. I want to be here to smile at it while it chokes on its own banality. But you've still not caught up with me, Vive. You've yet to learn that one vital lesson. The lesson that makes you free to learn the rest of the truth. You need to realize that life and death are just opposite sides of the same breath. Until you've completely grasped that fact, your eyes will never open wide enough to truly see. Which is a terrible pity for someone with such beautifully hungry eyes. I couldn't take it anymore. I kissed him. A momentary silence coursed through my body as my lips touched those of a man in the habit of stopping hearts rather than quickening them. Mine was not precisely a romantic attraction, but a primal reaction to his purity, his singular manifestation of the monster that lived in all men. He was wicked. No other man I'd ever encountered so completely summoned the beast in all its intellectual and physical fury. The killer's eyes searched mine like a ravening wolf, for weakness, a tender place to rest its teeth. I offered nothing but a greater hunger. This was not a kiss. This was a reckoning of station. He was mine. His eyes left my own, sinking down beside me, understanding, accepting. I could also feel her whispering through me, becoming me. There was an ever-lessening distinction between the witch and I, a subtle blending that lived only a breath away from completion. Wicked shivered at the renewed sight of me. I peered through the shadows moving between us. Her red smile blazed from my lips, burning his wild grin into submission. His hand went to the neglected wound in my shoulder. Here's a trick. You bleed, but you are no mere woman. Not anymore. I rose to my feet. The moment had died between us, but its implications lived on. We need to find this guy and get the hell out of here. Wicked smiled, looking past me into the night, searching the streets with eyes that shrugged off darkness. There are plenty of functional cars here. You've only to pick a color, my dear. Red. The two of us climbed into an old red Cadillac and off we went. Baron popped the hood and rooted around for a few moments while Wicked worked the wires under the dash. Baron gave a signal and the engine coughed awake. Slamming the hood, Baron disappeared into the shadows. I knew, in that mysterious way of his, he'd meet us at our destination. Rover 2 would be there when needed, or when I called upon him. The haunted glow of the dashboard played havoc with reality creating ghosts out of seatbelt shadows and specters from sun visors. Every now and then, the tumbling blackness of a monster dog kept pace with six cylinders. 
The fog took its time with us, coiling around the streets like an ephemeral python, squeezing off visibility with the painful sloth of dying. Soon, the going was all but impossible, or at least it should have been, but for Wicked's preternatural eyes and Rover's occasional assistance removing large obstacles from our path. I could feel our collective rope tightening with each city block we were allowed passage. The spirits of New Victoria were watching us, calculating us, waiting for the right time to strike, when they could best exceed our worst expectations and fears. It also didn't help my nerves that the city had no capacity for idleness. Towers, steeples, the entire skyline milled around the black sky, carrying moonlight upon its back and reflecting it through thousands of glaring windows. The Victorian skin of the place was peeling off in places, revealing the alien presence of a nightmare born from the devil's dreams. It was as though the insane things squatting and tittering beneath neon signs and crooked lampposts had contaminated the urban spaces of the city with their black sleep, repairing cracked walkways and broken windows with the textures of countless bad dreams. At one point, the street clogged with crucified bodies, humanoid figurines kneeling at their feet, looking sightlessly on. I would have plowed right through the disturbing mass, but Wicked was a lover of the weird, and so he gave the congregation a wide berth. Wicked saw it before I did, naturally. The next hundred yards or so appeared to be the most dangerous yet, this side of sleep anyway. Here is where they'd come for us, where our fear could climb no higher, a suspension bridge constructed during the resurrection of Boston. The ground dropped off into blackest water where it began, and dim city light peeked through the fog from the far side. Wicked's grin was in rare form. Well, I said, do we stop and figure out our approach or just charge right? The engine roared beneath Wicked's boot, his laughter rising like a storm. Despite myself, I smiled, red and wild and alive. I didn't need her to smile for me anymore. I could do it all on my own now. I realized moments like these were the only tastes of life Wicked had ever known. Moments wherein he no longer had to wonder whether he truly existed. It was one of those instances that defied reality, proving life the obstacle to living. As we raced forward, I could hear the gigantic notes of a monstrously saccharine tune unwinding from beneath the bridge deep under the water. The notes sounded off quickly and gradually slowed, the silence between the sounds becoming pregnant with monsters. It dawned on me what I was hearing, the music of a gargantuan jack-in-the-box. Without warning, the weasel went pop. The last note sounded and the earth reverberated like a cosmic bell. At the same instant, something exploded out of the water, an atom bomb that set the world atilt. The entire road seemed to sway side to side like a gigantic swing of steel and stone. The fog that surrounded us suddenly swept upward, caught in the draft of something titanic rising into the air. Torrents of water, spasming fish and seaweed all began falling from the fog-shrouded sky as a city light across the bridge winked out. The windows fogged as the hot breath of the behemoth fell across the car like a summer wind. It stank of decay in sweets, like a mountain of candied fish melting in the sun. 
In the moment between the fog parting and the breath of the beast blasting the windows, I saw it. Broken yellow teeth surrounding a candy-striped smile blotted out the sky. Eyes like sickly twin moons painted the world in a dull yellow-green light. A blue and orange polka-dotted top hat rose to the belly of the sky, looking like a flat-topped mountain perched sideways on the titan's head. It laughed, and it felt like the world itself was shaking apart. I'd never seen Wicked laugh so hard, so completely, his eyes alight with mad wonder and genuine joy. I realized I too was laughing, yet our glee didn't drown out the chaos, it embraced it. We were two children peeking through a tear in the big top, stealing a glimpse at the madness hidden from the waking world. Step right up, folks. The show is about to begin. It's amazing how much time is wasted in life. We consider seconds to be trivial, atomistic, negligible. Truth is, everything happens within a second. Worlds come into their own, babies are born, people die, all within a second. It was in such an interval that my world came into crisp relief against a gigantic toy reared up from the depths of the sea and offering a child's mischievous grin. In that second, I totaled the distance I'd traveled, from girl to woman, and from woman to something else. I never knew how alone I'd been, always searching for something, anything, to fill the void I'd constructed within myself. I advertised that vacancy with every drink I took, every bottle drained. A neon sign over the top of my head. Free AC, free cable. Please stay, I'm vacant. That must be how she found me, how she found all of us. Of course, with the children, it was more a matter of natural pliability than the cultivation of vulnerability. I imagine the distance to our truest nature is lessened by the starvation of the body. It brings truth to the surface, like a corpse in thawing waters, which can be nice, I suppose, but it can make you defenseless to predators dressed in savior's clothing, and perhaps the opposite as well. So there I was, laughing at life and death, seated next to a lunatic serial killer hurtling at 100 miles an hour towards a giant monster jack-in-the-box, my life's culmination in a single shining second. <laughs> I can't say I wasn't impressed. I had to be practical, even if Wicked wouldn't have approved. I grabbed the wheel and swung the car around, back the way we'd come. Smoke, seaweed, and dead fish outlined the arc of the vehicle. The sound of screeching tires drowned in clownish laughter crashing around us like sugar-coated thunder. It wasn't that I had a plan. I simply wanted to give Baron the space and time to affect his own. The one I knew he'd hatched the very second the crank on that demon toy boxes started turning. He did not disappoint. A driverless tractor trailer barreled past us down the bridge towards our big friend Jack, appearing as a mere plaything next to the giant creature. It was an ironic visual. Reality was forced to favor the surreal jack-in-the-box while the nuts and bolts vehicle was made to play the role of a toy. This was the true power of the nightmare city of New Vic. It could cow reality. The head of the behemoth came out of the sky like a meteor, swooping down and snatching up the truck within its eternally grinning jaws. The rig immediately exploded with a roar. 
no doubt more grenades from Baron, causing the giant to rock backward like a child's inflatable punching bag. It was nothing more than a firecracker to the behemoth, but it served to cover our escape. We'd only just barreled off the bridge when the creature's white-gloved fist slammed down behind us, the gong of the church bells hanging from its wrist mixing with the cacophony of pulverizing steel and concrete. Enormous chunks of the street were blasted into the air, crashing down around us as we fled. Despite the reign of chaos, we managed a clean getaway. I could hear the tightened peals of sugary laughter as the toy withdrew, sinking beneath the waves to reset itself within its underwater box. Once at a safe distance, we stopped the car for a breather. The wake of the creature filled with silence, save for the lingering echo of gonging bells and creaking steel. Wicked, still giggling, shrugged. Well, I guess we can't go that way anymore. Before I could roll my eyes, a massive shadow appeared outside the car. I jumped at the sudden presence of Baron, who had somehow arrived without so much as a whisper. Jesus, Baron! Don't you know how to warn a person? You scared the shit out of me. Strange. I would have assumed you were all out of excrement, given that last little encounter. I couldn't tell if he was trying his hand at humor or just being an ass. We need to find a workaround. The bridge is clearly a no-go. Baron paused for a moment, calculating our options in that big busy head of his. We'd have to backtrack and then adjust upwards to avoid using any of the bridges. Or we could cut quite a bit of time from our jaunt and drop down into the sewers, making our approach via the underground. He made the choice of using the sewers seem dry and logical, as if it weren't the most horrifying thing we could do next. New Vic was unrelenting that way, never offering as much as the slightest alternative to the worst possible option. Our every movement was always a step closer to hell. The look in Wicked's eye told us he was already champing at the bit to lift the lid off the street and pop down into the city's bowels. <sighs> The sewers it is, folks. Baron had become strangely acquiescent to my calling the shots, but I took his willingness as a means for him to watch me blunder into my own death. However, the big man generally looked to Wicked for his cues, and so long as the grinning killer was on board with me, so was Baron, it seemed. I'd yet to deduce the nature of their friendship, but I was certain there was one doozy of a story behind it. The manhole cover came up weightlessly in Baron's massive hand. He offered a courtly gesture, inviting me to descend into the stinking depths below. I let Wicked go first, naturally. A woman's prerogative, after all. Baron dropped down after me and pushed back the darkness with a small but powerful flashlight. He was a regular trove of gadgets, weapons, bombs, and who the hell knew what else. In addition to being a sewer, with all the expected slimy comforts, our current accommodations were also a massive repository for the dead. At times, we navigated tunnels almost entirely choked with the moist bones of rank corpses. I was sick more than a few times.
After what seemed ages, the tunnels led outside, opening into a huge basin heaped with dirty mattresses and pillows and bedsheets. Even stranger were the organic-looking machines busy probing every inch of the items. They bore a striking resemblance to the wicked instruments the dream creatures tried to use to impregnate me. Yet these were fashioned for something else. A different, but equally vile purpose, most likely. Aside from the machines, which worked quite autonomously, there seemed to be nothing else stalking about. Deciding the coast clear, we climbed up over the edge of the basin and took a gander at our surroundings. We were nearing the heart of the city, where a bit of the fog and storm lifted to reveal something that no waking world should ever encompass. I couldn't decide if we were inside or outside a nightmare, but I was fairly certain that skyscrapers didn't coil and pulse like giant gray pythons of glass and steel, scraping their dull scales against the starless void of space. And I was damned sure that monstrous figures didn't stumble and prowl the tops of storm clouds, drooling lightning and fashioning caves from thunderheads. Nor should there have been hosts of black canopy beds the size of cathedrals spread out as far as we could see, each wrapped in translucent silks that flowed like black seas tossed in the wind, their mysterious occupants restless in their sleep. This was a fissure in the waking world, where nightmare things leapt and hunted to alien hungers, infesting sleep like worms filling a corpse. It was almost too much for me, as this was something meant only for sleeping minds, where the insane world of dreams had any hope of being managed. For the first time, Wicked wasn't laughing. As I looked out over the fields of crawling nightmares, I focused on a gigantic picture hanging upon the roiling sky itself. It depicted a darkly attired man conducting an endless line of sightseers to the edge of a huge bed. He held the bed skirt up with one hand and shined a lantern underneath with the other. While only barely visible, his lamplight revealed depths filled with unimaginable wonders, dark and beautiful. From my left, I heard Wicked talking to no one in particular, reciting what seemed a poem. Apparently, it was a quote from that book written by the sleeping prophet Silas Ohms, The Mad Script. All the old gods were hanged from the storm by ropes of lightning, the creation only the stuff of man's waking hours. Now a lone figure stood atop the din of thunder. It was the great harrower, made not from earthly things, but of breathless nightmare, and into sleep mankind fell to wake no more. This was the real deal, proof beyond doubt that the world extended beyond its visible borders, farther than the farthest flung notions of the fringiest science. Granted, at that point I shouldn't have had any doubts, but this was overwhelming, to the point that it made the sane world look thin and slight, just a dust cover thrown atop a trove of darkly glittering jewels. We were all struck dumb by the sight just wide eyes and heads filled with awe. Of course, the effect soon wore off on Wicked, who began to run that ever-grinning mouth of his. Perchance to dream, to nightmare. You can feel it, can't you? The gravity of secret worlds pulling at parts of you that run deeper than the soul. 
refreshing horrors that haven't haunted you since childhood. This is where all your youthful screams went, where our nightmares live. This is the manifestation of fear, and all that live and thrill within it, the world under the bed. I was worried Wicked might be a little too fond of our surroundings to be as frosty as I needed him to be, so I cut into his reverie with a strong stab of reality, if that word still held any real meaning for us. Yeah, this place is a real freak show, but we need to be finding our guy and getting the hell out. We get caught in here and death is the very least of what we have to look forward to. But Wicked wasn't having any part of my pragmatism. Vive, this is wonder. Squander it at your peril. This little spark of life that we've been given, this aching hope for meaning is rarely fulfilled, let alone overflowed. When wandering the primal gardens of gods, be they of light or darkness, you stop and eat as much fruit as you can bear. I, for one, would like to gaze upon it a while longer, before the steadier world, should I ever see it again, robs me of the truth of it all. What if Donald was right all along? From dream we came, and to it we should return. Whenever the family man was spoken of, I could feel sharp pangs of sorrow and pride in nearly equal measures. Yet sorrow always won out, and on this particular occasion that sorrow turned to shame. What had she done to him, this artist among killers? What was she doing to me? We all sat with Wicked while he pondered the mystery that had become murdered Boston. And yet even there, before a universe of nightmare, all I could think of was her. I recalled her face beneath the sea of red within a broken mansion. The skies above her home filled with blood. Crowds of corpses for clouds drifting to currents colder than winter. There was something about her that had changed, or something about how I saw her that had changed. Either way, I'd learned something about her, something I'm certain she didn't want me to know. What she was doing, and how she was doing it, was hurting her. Before I knew it, we were on the move again, squinting at horrors that had no place in the waking world. They seemed somehow recessed into the spaces they occupied, as if burning through the last remnants of conventional reality. The distinction between nightmare and reality became strained as the wakeless world poured in through yawning holes rent in humanity's collective unconsciousness, and I stopped trying to figure out if I was awake or asleep. The streets literally breathed as we crept across them, and the skies buckled under the weight of a monolithic darkness whose presence was tangible and curious, snatching up stray hairs and pulling at the edges of our clothing. There were crowds of slumbering people, all of them floating through the air like clusters of lost balloons. Each person's eyes had completely disappeared beneath a layer of unbroken skin, as if the human condition had never warranted waking in the first place. At various points along our way, we were forced to push through massive clusters of the floaters, sending them bumbling and bouncing off nearby objects with the slightest touch. We even crossed beneath one of the gigantic beds, where something ancient and unimaginable reposed in timeless sleep, no doubt dreaming armies of nightmares at the remaining bastions of the waking world. How Wicked managed to navigate, I have no idea. Our mandatory silence disallowed my asking him. 
However he accomplished it, we finally arrived at a rickety tenement house. We entered it like ghosts, and I somehow knew that even the great dead dog had achieved a soundless entry. The Bowers were ever present now, occupying some small room within my mind. Always squirming and cursing, their services were assured, if not their willingness. Wicked led the way into darkness. I commanded Rover to stay close but unseen. The shadows parted as we picked through them, bending and shifting like scrub brush made from gossamer black silk. The ceilings were cracked and bowing, leaking some sort of pus. We entered a room, frosted in shifting silver light, noisy with a sound of static. It was a dead ringer from my living room. The TV and VCR were both turned on. An image slowly made its way through the curtain of static. A face came into view. It was mine, but it seemed frozen in a painful expression. The lips didn't even move when a voice hissed between them. It was a man's voice speaking in falsetto, trying to imitate a woman's voice. My voice. Oh me, oh my. I'm so, so lost. Come help me, please. Said the fake me, all the while pouring bottles of wine over its head. Suddenly, its hand reached up and pulled the fake face away, revealing another face, equally still and fake. It was the witch's face, all red and dead. The voice continued, this time in the cracked tones of a Halloween witch. There, there, my sweet little girl. Why, I'll fix you right as rain, I will, provided you kill for me. My fake face was quickly placed over top the fake witch's face, and it pleaded. Oh, no, no, no. I could never kill. I just can't do it. Again, my likeness was torn away, but this time the face beneath was Grandma Bowers, just as quiet and dead as I'd imagined her, way down in the darkness where I left her. The masks kept coming off, more and more dead faces. The prison guards I'd let die when I failed to tell anyone that Wicked was free. Then all the people Wicked and Baron had killed while hiding out at my home. My entire tragedy mocked in a few moments. I didn't know how to feel, but despite myself, there was a twinge of accomplishment to it all. The things I had done and had needed to do for freedom's sake. But whatever I'd done, it wasn't just murder. It was something else, something purer than simply slaying. It was perhaps a kind of spiritual distillation, moonshine in a cracked mason jar. Yet I wasn't given much time to think it over. The TV thing began to rise, its head a gigantic idiot box, replaying all the most embarrassing scenes of my life over and over. Its body was a rough approximation of my own, and its every movement seemed to mock me in some fashion, overemphasizing every signature gesture I possessed. It was a living insult, made from embarrassment and shame, self-loathing, insecurity, and loneliness. Every bit of myself that had ever been darkly reflected in a dream. Wicked appeared between me and the creature in an instant, knives out, grinning. Yet, he backpedaled into me when the creature looked upon him, with a screen now showcasing various humiliating moments from his own life. I saw images of him as a child, 
naked and hiding in a cupboard covered in blood. His eyes were stuffed with tears, but they had yet to roll down his cheeks. I heard a woman's voice, old and husky. She bellowed. You little bastard. Gonna get it now, Dilly. Grandma done had it with you. Gonna make you bleed even more, like a stuck little piggy. Wicked wasn't grinning anymore. He was scowling. I'd never seen him truly mad before. His words came slowly, like venom working its way through the body. To think I had a mind to believe this place sublime. Why, you're all nothing but two-way mirrors and cheap tricks. Just sideshow follies and carnival charlatans. Fools, the lot of you. And there are only two things a fool deserves. Laughter and death. Wicked's grin returned, outshining the knife he held beside it. Lucky for you, creature. I can supply you with both. Wicked wasn't one for flourish, or at least he wasn't deliberately fancy about his killing technique. This fact was painfully sounded out in his approach to TV Head, who apparently didn't find it prudent to take any special precautions against the grinning killer. Wicked treated the gaze of the nightmare thing as if it were a solid stream of blazing fire, giving it the widest berth, but at the same time closing on the creature through the most bizarre series of leaps and feints. His movements were supremely primitive, every muscle outlining the prehistoric past, each growl and giggle exhaling the breath of his ancestors at the hunt, his entire body focused on the kill. As he drew closer to the monster, Wicked's laughter took on a strangely ridiculous volume, more than likely due to the unearthly environment in which we found ourselves. It constantly surprised us with its ludicrous departures from the waking world. His glee rose 10 decibels for each short-lived second, yet the quality of the laughter never changed, like a speaker slowly cranked to 11. In moments, Wicked was on top of the thing, staring down the length of his ruddy blade. This was a trick of his I'd seen before. So I was none too surprised when Baron appeared behind TV head in that signature out of nowhere way of his. The huge man wrapped his tree trunk arms around the creature, lifting it with little difficulty and proffering its undefended parts to his maniacally cackling friend. Wicked was all too happy to accept the flailing gift, tearing open his present with gusto, showcasing the glitter-drunk, Christmas-morning child at heart he really was. Rusted TV parts and glistening half-human organs came out at his knife's beckoning, clattering and splattering to the dirty floor. The demon spun its TV head in a circle, colliding with Baron's jaw and sending the giant stumbling backward. The nightmare turned and crouched in front of Wicked, seething with renewed strength. It moved with impossible speed, catching the killer at the center of its televised gaze, fixing him to the spot as if by nails. Once again, the terrible things that had been done to Wicked began filling up TV Head's face. Grubba do love the grizzle, don't she? The shambling thing that was Wicked's grandmother flung a gnawed pig's leg from a filthy plate. It landed on the floor, and a shivering Dylan flanked by several mangy dogs dove on the rotting limb. Now, Dilly, 
Don't you go biting any of them dogs again, or by the Jesus I'll hang you up in the smokehouse. Get me, boy? The dogs trampled Wicked and seized the meat, snarling and snapping while he looked on with eyes holding back a dam of tears. The channel changed, revealing a slightly older Wicked, maybe eight or nine. He wore a severed, hollowed-out head and stood posed on a bloody ottoman. His grandmother seemed to be using him as a stand-in for the once-living thing. Now, nah, don't try and lie to old Grummet, you useless bag of guts. You done tried to get into my meat house, didn't you? The little boy responded with an attempt at an older man's gruff voice. You done nailed me to the wall, Crummy. You're too smart for me. I did it. I'm to blame, I is. Another change to the channel. This time, the scene was filled with physical pain. You've been out running with them damn coy dogs again, ain't you, boy? How many times I gotta tell you stay away from them? She whipped the boy with a bicycle chain, raising bloody lashes across his skin. The next channel showed Wicked as a toddler, bruised and beaten, getting thrown into a pen of dead and dying pigs. If you want to soil your pants, then you can stay out here with the rest of your ilk, you little mongrel. I couldn't watch anymore. I threw myself at the nightmare appliance, sinking my knife as deep as I could, aching bitterly from my madman. The television raised up a rusty antenna from the top of its vintage head, making a small whirring noise as it went. I could feel my past being yanked out of me again, my own personal horror show of deepest fears and regrets getting prepped for prime time. The creature rotated its head to lock its revealing stare upon me, and Rover exploded from the shadows, roaring and slobbering and stinking of death. It seized TV head in its cave of teeth, nearly swallowing it whole and stole it into the shadows. They were gone in a blink. It was over so fast, it almost felt like it didn't happen at all. Wicked sat on the ground, cross-legged, his eyes a familiar dam of tears. He looked away from me as if my gaze were as painful as the TV's. I was about to speak his name, having no idea what I was going to say, but wanting to say something. Baron broke the solemnity of the moment. Now I know why you don't eat pork, Dylan. The air seemed to cringe beneath the tasteless joke. I wondered what effect such a heartless thing would have on the two of them. I <laughs> should have known better. Wicked burst into laughter, falling to his back as it overtook him. He rolled across the floor, his hilarity echoing through the corridor, his tears now those of joy. He wiped his eyes as he tried to regain himself. Baron, you monstrous thing, you. You're a chuckle at a funeral, you know that? A regular fart at tea time. Baron's cold exterior cracked, and I found myself laughing right along with them. Mom. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 